We're now watching countries like Israel see their cases surge to spark high vaccination rates. How important are boosters to maintaining this no lockdown plan and how soon we need to get them so that we can maintain these freedoms we're being promised? We need to get used to being vaccinated with COVID vaccines for the future. Um, I can't see that COVID is not going to be with us forever. Um, maybe in the future we can have even better vaccines and coverage across the world to achieve that. I mean, as a public health doctor, we always want to have diseases go, um, get totally eliminated, but that's not on the horizon in the near future. So booster doses, repeat doses will be part of it. You know, there'll be different advice about different schedules, which doses you get. But at the moment, our priority has to be getting first and second doses into people. And there will be recommendations about booster doses in the future. And I can assure you that the Commonwealth Government has, produced, has purchased a large quantities of vaccine into 2022. And this will be a regular cycle of vaccination and revaccination. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Saturday, January 15th, 2022. I almost did it again. Thank you for joining me today. A really focused, important show today. Had a bunch of things happen behind the scenes that caused me to change what was going to happen today. I have an excellent interview coming out from Taylor Hudak with Dr. Sam White that will be going out tomorrow. So keep an eye out for that. I do. I can now confirm that I have an interview set up uh, between Denny Rancourt or in, involving Denny Rancourt and Stephanie Seneff. So we'll have that coming your way quite soon. But today I wanted to talk about something very specific. Like just sort of like yesterday, not the same topic, but in the same kind of idea. I want to focus on something that I found or that was shared with me that I thought was really, really important. And the title makes that very clear. We see the shifting of information. We see the changing of how they're acknowledging things, how they're deciding to categorize things, what their metrics are. And all of these, in most cases, are things that are that we had argued should have been done from the beginning. And they said we were crazy and we were conspiracy theorists and we didn't trust the science. And now the science apparently, which is not actually what's happening is finally coming around to saying, well, we should do those things. And what's really frustrating for people like us, especially those being objective and not taking sides, just trying to make what we can out of what's happening. They refuse to point back and say, Oh, you were correct. They go, no, no, you were still wrong somehow. And we're just doing what you said then now, but for different reasons. So you're wrong. (laughs) It's it's irrational. It's childish in a lot of ways. But one one of the major things we're going to talk about today, something I thought was really important, is in regard to the deaths being counted and how that's happening. If we're in the middle of the biggest pandemic in a century and all they're telling us it's only going to get worse, why would they change the way that they categorize these things? Why would the federal government say, I no longer need you to tell us how many deaths are happening in the hospitals? I no longer need you to tell us how much remdesivir you're using. I no longer need you to tell the federal government how many hospital beds you have in each hospital. Very self-serving, interesting things that are changing. And we'll go through those today and let you decide if you think that makes sense. At the very least, in the con- and how they're framing this. You could argue that, yeah, it's getting better, even though I don't really think that's what's happening. I think we are having a fantastically positive effect, but they're choosing to fortify and retreat and fortify to come back at a later point, as we discussed yesterday. 
So we have to consider that. But I do think that these there is a level of this that's falling apart in front of us. But I do. But I think what they want us to feel is that this is just getting better. When really, it's about a continuation of the same agenda from a different angle, as always happens. So today we're going to start off with a couple of interesting points that all fall into the changing of this. And one of the things we left in the title there was simply you're a terrorist. Now, this has been a new, not a new topic that Whitney and I have been talking about in the context of COVID since the big, since the beginning of this, since mid, mid early 2020, that this was something that was going to happen, the crossover. And we've all seen it now. We've all seen this crossover between foreign policy, really, and COVID-19, between white supremacy and somehow vanilla ISIS, and then those people working with these people inside the country to carry out sort of, you know, maybe bio attacks or, you know, they're already floating the idea of bioweapon attacks, smallpox, and so on. And we can see all this kind of crossing over and blending all this together. One of these is making you a terrorist or a threat in that same vein, whether you're working with those guys over there or you just spread dangerous misinformation, as they say, making you out to be a domestic terrorist for simply having a different opinion, for protesting against things that are wildly unconstitutional. That's what's happening today. And we're going to start with that story before we get into the data in regard to why they're changing and how they're changing this stuff. But you'll find this to be very, very interesting. Now, this is from Germany, as it says in the tweet. President of the State Protection and Counterterrorism Agency sees, quote, new scene of enemies of the state, literally using the term enemies of the state at protests against COVID restrictions, which can, quote, no longer be clearly assigned to right wing or left wing extremism. Well, look at that. That seems like something we've talked about. Well, first point. Enemy of the state. So the government's coming out and saying, you who are protesting our government restrictions around COVID, which at the very least, we know that people disagree whether those are legitimate or valid or constitutional. Within the government, they have disagreements. Yet, nonetheless, people who protest against those things, which other parts of the parts of the government side with them, they're being called enemies of the state. The government of Germany is saying, we, you're an enemy to us. You're a member of our country. You're a citizen of this country, but you, when you disagree with what we tell you you can or can't do, you're now an enemy. That's really strong language. Now, this is not new, though. We've been seeing this build this entire time. I mean, it's the counterterrorism agency, for crying out loud. Well, as I said, resistance to this agenda has always been nonpartisan. We've talked about this from the beginning of COVID-19. They were desperate, and they still are, to make you think this is a completely partisan divide. It's not. It really has never been. They've tried really strong with January 6th and everything else we're trying to wrap into this. January 6th is interesting and relevant to something else that happened today. We'll talk about it in a second. But they're desperate to make you think that it's just the other side instead of all of us realizing that it's them doing this to us. It's always been nonpartisan. They didn't want to admit that, of course, until it was useful to them. Like everything else, truth doesn't matter. It's about what they can use. So now that they want you to go, uh-oh, it's no longer partisan. It's becoming this new dangerous thing. Well, suddenly it becomes advantageous for them to point out what's always been there. And here we are. You are now being framed in Germany as an enemy of the state for protesting the authoritarian COVID restrictions. Now, it's exactly what's happening in this country as well. You're being framed the same way. And it's how it's been building. They're just coming out with a little stronger language than what we're seeing happen here. I mean, not even that much stronger, to be quite honest, just more layered in the United States. But they're coming out and basically calling you a domestic terrorist for, I mean, Biden's executive order said it explicitly including framing as spreading of misinformation as they claim misinformation, which is subjective to whatever they want it to be, is something that is deemed a terrorist act in the context of that executive order about domestic terrorism. 
There's no misunderstanding that. Now, whether they choose to act on it or not is the question, but it's happening. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to leave it up to the government's whim to decide whether or not they want to call you a terrorist and be able to lock you up because of the way that they frame it. Well, here is what we see happening in the United States. Now, this is a clip from uh, TikTok shared, but some clip from Fox News. And I just want to share this to set the table from the way she's talking about it and show you how, of course, it's always framed in a partisan way from, you know, in this case, somebody would look at this and say, well, because she's saying it on Fox, it must be fake from a left standpoint and vice versa. And that's how this always works. The two-party paradigm is their best, most important tool to keep you from realizing what's really going on. But let's play this clip and then I'll show you the actual breakdown of what is happening and that she is correct what she is saying. Military preparing for a war right here in these United States. The upcoming U.S. Army exercise known as Robin Sage sounds like a porn star. <laughs> we'll have troops stationed in 25 counties in North Carolina. They're reportedly learning guerrilla style warfare tactics to combat potential homegrown threats and potentially overthrow an illegitimate government. Now, here's the point where they zoom in and they make that point. Like, I'm pretty sure the people that are sharing this link where I got it from are misunderstanding what that, what that they want this to make it sound like they're training to overthrow a, the government. At least that's how I took that. Now, you could take it. You, that's, this is my perception. Take it however you want. I'll read the actual information. But the way she's saying that, the way I take this and the way I think she actually meant it was that these people are are. They're have their training going through guerrilla war training exercises in order to stop people who are trying to overthrow the government. That's what she meant by homegrown threats. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious, just in case there was any misunderstanding about how that was being framed. But that's interesting, right? Because this is the main point. They're trying to frame people like January 6th and, and Republicans or literally anybody, by the way, who disagrees with COVID-19 as being a domestic threat. And therefore, you're in this country as some kind of militia that's planning to overthrow the government. Now, first of all, understand that a militia in its essence is protected by the Constitution. So it's incredible we've gotten to a point to where that in its, I mean, it's no different than saying the Constitution is dangerous or that people who believe too strongly in the Constitution are dangerous, which is all things your government have said in recent times. But a training exercise, now don't miss that she said 25 counties, 25 counties. Okay, so the real point here is about the homegrown threat that you present. And don't forget again that we've talked about this before. The Pentagon has leaked documents that showed that you, as the American people, were the battle of the future. And this is not a joke or a secret. We've talked about this many times. So as this builds forward, let's not forget that they focused on you a long time ago. And they used all of those 9-11 powers claimed about protecting you to actually focus on you to make you into the threat because they always knew that you were the biggest threat to what they were trying to accomplish because what they're using is you and your country. And this is, this can apply equally to UK government and our specific, you know, any other location we're talking about. So let's going on, going over to the actual documentation. This is from the news and observer or the, or I should, I should say documentation, the, the reports about it in the mainstream media, realistic guerrilla war exercises to be fought across rural North Carolina counties. Army warns January 10th. A realistic guerrilla war will be fought across two dozen North Carolina counties this month. That's crazy. Two, we're tight. She said 25, but let's just take this at face value and say 24 counties. 24 counties. That's a large area. And in rural, probably even larger. 
Now, maybe rural, you could argue there'd be less people intermittent in between these areas. North Carolina is a pretty large area, open, sprawling lands, but in some places, but no matter what, with 24 counties, you're going to have people that are in these areas. This is not some, or, I mean, let's read the next part and you tell me what you think. Two weeks, that's according to the army, and it says two week, the two week unconventional warfare exercise, and that usually unconventional is usually the, you know, counterinsurgency, guerrilla tactic kind of stuff, which is what we really aimed at you these days internally, will be staged on January 22nd to February 4th. That's when this is happening. And it says on privately owned land. Uh, so how, I mean, maybe I'm confused. If they're counties, which implies that they're populated by people, how can it be all privately owned land? And if it is privately owned land, why are these people all living on it? And if it's on, and it's all privately owned land and they're not populated areas, how is it possible that it's 24 different counties? I just find it to be strange. That could just be a mistake or a typo, whatever. But my point is simply that this is going to be conducted around people. And that, and, and that large of an area, it's going to cross your life. And, you're, and it's a guarantee some of these people won't know this is happening, which always happens. They pretend like it being on this website or the fact that they have that one report means that everybody sees it. Most people in these North Carolina areas will have no idea this is happening, which happens every single time. Exact time, locations, and exercise specifics weren't provided. Of course, why? Why would we let you know where it's going to be? We want you to be shocked and surprised and scared. That's the whole point, right? However, advanced publicity is intended to make sure civilians, including law enforcement officers, don't mistake the fighting for terrorism or criminal activity, which has happened in the past. So why then keep the exercises location secret? Because you, I mean, you're afraid if you let people know where you are, something bad could happen. Well, that's a pretty interesting thing to think. Aren't you the freedom fighters of the world? I mean, it's interesting how this is kind of, if you're hiding the times, locations, and exercises, you're going to scare people. Even those that know this is happening, you still won't know what's going to happen. You'll stumble into it and be like, whoa, wait, what's happening? This is meant to be uncomfortable and meant to be normalizing this kind of stuff around you. And that's at least in part. That's my opinion, but that's always there. Robin Sage, I'm not sure where that name came from. That's what it's called. The exercise serves as a final test for special force qualification course training, and it places candidates in a potentially unstable country known as Pineland. Right. So they're fighting internal domestic forces, freedom fighters, in a unstable political country called Pineland. Gee, I wonder what that's supposed to represent. Let's, I mean, this is ridiculously obvious, and it's again, their own information shows you what has been planned. You are the future threat. These military members act as realistic opposing forces and guerrilla freedom fighters, also known as Pineland Resistance Movement. Great. So the unstable political country, let's just pretend that's called the United States, has an internal resistance freedom fighter group called the Resistance Movement, fighting for the freedom of the country. And they're the ones they're fighting against. Interesting, right? So you could, it's funny how they're you know framed as obviously the good guys and these resistance freedom fighters are the bad guys because that's what they are default. Why would they be called freedom fighters? Of course, they've had that name before. Anyway, you could go on forever. The point is, it's interesting to see how they're framing them, themselves against people fighting for freedom inside of an unstable political country. And exactly what they want you to think about that is where we are right now in this country. Advanced public notice of, quote, the U.S. military's premier unconventional warfare exercise became a priority in 2002 after one soldier was killed and another wounded when a sheriff mistook the exercises, also called Robin Sage, which I find interesting, for criminal activity. Why would they use the same name, by the way? I find that really odd. That never happens as far as I can tell. But 2002, apparently they did Robin Sage. They're doing it again. The same one where somebody accidentally got shot. Let's see if that happens again. Hope not. 
But interestingly, the point is that's always on the table because not everybody's going to just see these reports. Maybe the sheriff's office get notifications and so on, but interesting that they know that happens and they do it anyway. Before, th- before 2002, let's, you know, if these are just openly conducted. I promise you not everything they do is notified or we were told about. But here it is on the Hill as well. Realistic guerrilla war exercises in rural Carolinas. But here's the interesting correlation. So not only are we are they carrying out open warfare, which basically amounts to military personnel deployed on the ground inside the United States, uh, you know, sidestep posse comitatus like they even care about that anymore. Here we are deploying in California. Gavin Newsom says deploying National Guard to testing sites to help expand capacity. I mean, aren't there employees? Oh, that's right. You fired everybody. So now you don't have anybody. I mean, that was the entire point to bring in military to replace the people that you knew you couldn't replace. If you're feeling sick, don't hesitate to get tested. Right. So just continuing to test, which the next point we'll get into and how the testing is the very illusion that creates all of this, even though parts around the world right now, other countries are going, should we even be testing? Experts in the United States are going, why don't we stop the testing? Because that's the problem. Yeah, don't buy it, guys. That's the rolled back plan. They know this because right now, where are all the testing? Where's all the cases showing up? In the fully injected. Let's stop that. Stop reporting death. Stop talking about all the things we don't want you to see. I'll let you look at that in a second. My point here is that it's obvious this is being used to justify military personnel all over the place. This is not new, by the way. We've been seeing the National Guard and all sorts of different deployments happen constantly. But thinking about this discussion from the beginning about how you're being framed a domestic terrorist for simply disagreeing then all of a sudden look at what do you know good thing we had national guard deployed everywhere as we literally frame you as the individual on the ground fighting for freedom as the very terrorist we're trying to fight hard not to miss the overlap there finally they're even financially benefiting these people for doing what they're told I am now directing an expansion of our FEMA policy to permit funding to states who elect to use their National Guard troops to fill these critical support roles in hospitals. Look at that. Perfect, right? So now we fire all the people with integrity and the ones that are willing to stand up for what they believe in. And then we go, look at that. We don't have anybody. What are we going to do? Well, let's roll in the National Guard. But now they're a little weird about that. So don't worry. We're going to give you money for those that you use to fill those positions while they're also we're rolling out to expand testing capacity and then once we're there we'll go oh look at that we'll just use them in these places they'll fill the roles of nurses suddenly you've got militarized hospitals isn't that interesting how that works out well i think it's obvious that this was not just some stumbled in plan or uh, stumbled in they didn't stumble into this this is obviously a coordinated effort it's pretty clear if you just pay attention but obviously guys the reality is you're becoming the terrorist and the military is being deployed. And all, it's all under the guise of keeping you safe. If you're willing to accept that, then I can't help you. Because it's pretty clear that's not what it's about. That's all my opinion. But I'm giving you plenty of evidence to consider. Now, going forward on this, I think the way that they keep you from paying attention to all of that. One thought I actually had, by the way, before we jump into the partisan divide, which is this relevant, is that the whole Trump thing was interesting, right? As during the whole elect- or Trump's administration, I argue the, re- the very reason he was made to be in that position allowed to be in that position is because they knew it would pacify some of the most critical people of what was about to happen. The militia, the constitutionalists, these are people that were aggressively on his side that didn't do anything because they trusted Trump. Now, as this goes forward, think about the whole concept of, of militias and the whole idea. I mean, everything about the way that they framed it, everything that's supposed to represent freedom and constitutional. I mean, all of these things have been framed as some negative now, and it's all because they point, they pivoted to Trump. 
And the same thing going forward, I argue there are people that are already pacified and focused on different things like the election recounts, the things they're not paying attention to where we should be focusing on. Like they're using that still important to think about. The two-party paradigm is how they keep people lost. And of course, what's the most obvious limited hangout in my opinion right now? I trust Joe Rogan more than Fauci. Who else thinks that way? (laughs) Well, gee, that's a really grand thought. Way to force it down into two very reduced things that mean nothing. I mean, these are all the blue checks, candidate for governor of Nevada, right? On the GOP, going, I'm on the Rogan side, vote for me. You know, it's just so pathetically obvious, guys. As I said, this framing game in the mainstream world around Rogan versus Fauci is so obviously manipulative, I don't know why anyone is falling for it. And when I say that, I mean anybody out there, you guys in the chat, people all over, the people not in the mainstream. A lot of them are right now acting like Joe Rogan is the the top the you know the top of the line main independent media. I mean, look, I have always felt Joe Rogan, and I'm, uh, next clip will make this point, is doing what he thinks is right. That's just my opinion. I have no way to know that for sure. He just seems like a person who's in this position that gets that gets used all the time, whether he realizes it or not. Like a lot of people, I've made the same comment about like the Jimmy Dore show, for instance. People that will toe the line a little bit to maintain the YouTube platform, you know, have somebody in the platform that lets them know what they are and aren't allowed to say. I don't know why anybody's okay with that. That's crazy to me. So the same point here is that in you, you never know. But I do believe clearly that they are being used to reduce this conversation down to its ridiculous... Bo- What's the, what's, you know, pedophiles in a pizza shop in a basement with the Clintons, like some stupid reduced narrative that is the most obviously ridiculous part, which is based in some form of truth, but is ridiculous and meant to be dismissed. So right now, anybody who doesn't agree with this, if you frame it in Rogan versus Fauci or Malone and Rogan, that changed everything, which by the way, did have a massive impact. It reached a lot of people, but then it immediately got it locked back into the two-party paradigm. So this is how they work this, whether that was the plan or not. I'm glad Malone was on the Rogan show and I'm glad that it got a lot of reach, but if that's all they got from it and then they got dragged right back into the two-party paradigm, well, that's a failure. It didn't work because they get stuck there yet again. It was QAnon and Russiagate all over again. That's how they do this. So the problem is we need to keep the conversation moving and not just boil it down because people that don't want to listen to it will dismiss it when they hear the word Joe Rogan. People that don't want to trust anything will dismiss it the moment they hear the word Fauci. It's the way this works. They want you to reduce it down to two people, two choices, two sides. Neither of these two represent the full picture. You're being played, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to see that. Not that Joe Rogan doesn't have good content and not that that Malone isn't accurate on a lot of very important things and not that you shouldn't have some level of suspicion for anybody who has the kind of ties that he does. I mean, these are things that I've always said, but you should be objective and consider, not just go Rogan better than Fauci. Now, here's the point to elaborate on that. Joe Rogan just put this out uh, two days ago. He said, if anyone was going to make me look dumb on the podcast, I'm glad it was um, fun, familiar, an ABC broadcaster. Shocking. With his mask on in the picture. Or it looks like maybe that's cellophane. I don't know. But anyway, he says, because I love him and he's awesome. However, this is why I was confused. Now, listen to what they're talking about. This is the same old garbage narrative that they're talking about. The COVID versus my, the myocarditis risk, COVID versus the injection, right? And Rogan argued incorrectly 
and I only say incorrectly, I actually agree with what his premise was. I think that there's, you could make a study to say pretty much anything you want. And I think the breakdown of all the data considered is very obvious that the risk is exponentially higher after taking this injection. But just taking their argument that the risk is higher after COVID versus the injection, that's a false argument. And I've made that many times. I'll explain afterward. Listen to what they say. Oh, you know what? See, I did this every time. Then I forget if I... Most days I'm good about grabbing everything that I'm about to play. Not this time, it looks like. <laughs> Where there's an adverse risk associated with the vaccine. It's like yes. a two to four fold increase in the instances of myocarditis. Yes. But you know what? Hospitalization. The, you know that there's an increased risk of myocarditis in, among that age cohort from getting COVID as well, which exceeds the risk of myocarditis from the vaccine. I don't think that's true. I don't think it it's is. true. I don't, no, no, no. I don't think it's true that there's an increased risk of myocarditis from people catching COVID. So here's what happens is then he says, no, 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 you're wrong. And then they bring up some mainstream article that simply says what he's saying. They don't dive any deeper. And then people walk away, even Rogan supporters going, oh, he was wrong. Right. Where's the deep dive? Where's the actual information? Where's the breaking down of the study they're about to point to? Which, by the way, we've already looked at. And there's plenty of things to point at. That are young versus increased risk of myocarditis from the vaccine. No, there is. There's both. Well, let's look that up because I don't think that's true. There's myocarditis is more common after COVID-19 infection than vaccination. But is this and by the way, that's an article about a study, not a study. But children? Yeah, we're talking about young people. Men and boys aged under 30 after this is what it says here. With, with children is the issue. Well, no, we were talking about 15-year-olds. Well, we're talking about young children. Male so, child. yes, 12 to 17. 12 to 17, more likely to develop myocarditis with three months of catching COVID at a rate of 450 cases per million infection. This compares to 67 cases of myocarditis per million at the same time following their second dose of Pfizer. And also don't forget that they have been caught many times altering what they allow. They dismiss certain things because of certain categories or, you know, that's not how it works or because they get the shot and that happens right away. They dismiss it because it will must have been from before. That's a subjective thing to do. And they're doing that. We've caught them doing it. We've talked about it many times. Yeah. So you're about eight times likely to get myocarditis from getting COVID than from getting the vaccine. That's interesting. Now, that that is said, not what I've read before, but also it's like, See, well, even when and then it becomes, oh, see, he's reading something when conspiracy theory and it just gets dismissible. That's how this works. Eating these things. It's like, what are we getting this from? Is this from well, the VAERS report? But even from the VAERS reports, when they report this stuff, it's like the amount of people that report the um, like it's the under reporting. Right. And so they, he, then he gets into VAERS and he's talking about the whole thing. And I agree with that. Right. But and so this is my point. It, to me, it strikes me that Joe is just he. He's walking through this and trying to have different people on with different opinions. And I, I value that. But the problem is that this is how it's being used. It is such a gigantic show. It is being used to do this. It's carefully being done, in my opinion. But I said, Joe, most importantly, it's a false comparison. The risk following injection is immediate. I don't know why any, but where, this is the most obvious thing to me. You put the injection in your arm, the increased risk is immediate and it's very high. Obviously, there's people that debate one way or the other, but we all admit now, they admit at least, that there is an increase. So that's immediate. This is a child, let's say, as Joe's pointing to, with a very, very low, one in a million chance of dying from COVID-19. So not at risk. Statistically speaking, insignificant regarding every factor we're talking about for children. Then you can argue that they get the, well, then, then they could protect. So to be clear, you get the injection for that kid. It's an instantaneous risk, which then comes along with the high risk of potentially of 
50% mortality if they get more myocarditis over the next 10 years. There's a lot of factors there. Now, the kid without the injection, at a very low risk of even getting COVID, let alone dying, has to catch it first to then have the risk they claim it does, which, by the way, is disputed. No one over here is disputing the increased risk of the injection caught with myocarditis. But there's plenty of people disputing, as you could pull up different studies, whether or not that is the case and how serious it is after COVID. Or whether or not people are getting framed like that because they had the shot, then they get COVID or vice versa, and it's really the injection causing it, and they frame it with COVID, right? We've seen a lot of these conversations, at least questions. So we can see how that's a very obviously false choice. Instant risk versus possibly never risk. No choice at all. Don't do it if there's an instant risk. I think it's a no-brainer. I said on top of that, as others have argued in the comments, other studies argue the opposite of the paper that he pulled up. Have me on the show. I'll never happen. Very important, right? And this is how this goes. Now, the, the jump bringing this over into the mandate part of this, because we're talking about this illusion around it all, right? I mean, they're literally trying to create an illusion about the risk to justify their actions when it's not there. And this is using falsified information. I mean, I think that's very, I mean, think about how, un, how non-serious it would be if they were being honest. But we already saw the Supreme Court block the nationwide vaccine and testing mandate for large businesses. But don't forget allowing healthcare workers to mandate that to do to face essentially mandate this. And my point about this is in general is about the way they sidestep plenty of things. And this was the, the mandate, I think, was sort of a misdirection because I knew and whether if it went through, they would use it. But the point is that they were never concerned in regard to I mean, every all these businesses were already doing this the businesses and colleges and all these, you know massive corporations that are under some one, a few umbrellas. It's not hard to see how you can get the majority forcing this, whether or not there's a mandate. So it's already happening anyway. And that's the point. So they block this and we go, yay, we won, which it is a win to a degree, but this is what's already happening quietly and over some ob ob objections, comma, but who cares about those things, right? A national digital vaccine card has emerged. It's not, it's not, coincidental timing that this rolls out right after the mandate goes away. So we're told, which I doubt that will go away forever, but about 80% of vaccinated people in the U S most likely already have access to it. They say whether they realize it or not about 200 million people out of over 300 million in the country now likely have access to a digital vaccine card already. The digital pass known as smart health card is voluntary and minimal by design to protect personal information. It has a person's name, birth of date, or excuse me, date of birth, <laughs> I must be dyslexic, and the dates and brands of vaccination doses, all contained within a type of scannable barcode known as a QR code. Weird. All these fake things that weren't supposed to ever be happening around COVID. It's all being driven in right because of COVID. And after a relatively quiet start, it has built momentum in recent months, just in recent months, as more states and companies have signed on. Well, gee, why? What was the driving factor there? This push about the, just like we keep hearing from the nurses, it ebbs and it flows. It goes back and forth. And every time they push, they get a little more movement, just like we just discussed with Jordan Peterson, right? They push you and push you until you start to push back and then they stop. They pull back a little bit, they fortify and they wait. They wait till you get normal and comfortable in that position that you're currently in, even though that's not where you started. And they push you a little more until you push back again. They stop. Next thing you know, you're a hundred miles from where you started. That's how you end up where you are right now. 15 days to flatten the curve becomes a year, becomes two years, becomes the rest of your life unless you stand up. After a relatively quiet start, They've already signed on multiple companies, making it something of a de facto national, dig dig national digital vaccine card. Now, this is the point. Is the government doing that? Well, no, but I guarantee their fingers are in this. 
It's just becoming this natural de facto thing that we all agreed on. Well, no, we didn't. It's still being driven in by authority and by power, but they're just keep, they're using this shell game to make it seem like it's not happening at their hand. Any such card seemed like a remote possibility a year ago. Yeah, and what have they done since then? They've scared you, they've coerced you, they've threatened you, they've, they've altered and destroyed your life and made this what you had to do. When people first began receiving paper cards for proof of COVID vaccinations, the Biden administration said in March that it would not take the lead on national health passes, instead defer to private sector. Great. Does that make you feel better? Go ahead, Silicon Valley. Go ahead, Gates and everybody else. Just you guys handle this. Well, that makes no sense at all, right? I mean, at the very least, I'd rather it be something that was, I mean, I, this shouldn't be happening at all. It's wildly unconstitutional, illegal, and dangerous. But the interesting part to pretend like it's better to kick it off to private sector who we have no accountability for, or they have no accountability to us, as if we actually have, as if Biden cares what we think anyway. But at least ostensibly, we have some kind of control over the government, but not, not this. But that's better. Rather than a single app, the smart health card is open source computer code that anyone can use to ping a verified source of health data and produce a unique QR code. The digital digital cards are now widely available from more than 400 sources, including states, pharmacies, healthcare organizations. Yeah, but it's just a fleeting small thing that nobody cares about, right? No, this is overtaking your country right now. And you weren't paying attention because we were yelling about a mandate, which I was too. The point is, this is what happens underneath it all. The fact that the system exists in any form is a triumph for loose coalition of technologies, they say. Technologists, weird, nonprofit groups, and mostly democratic states. What's a technologist exactly that champion the development of a digital vaccine card even before the first coronavirus shots were administered? Oh, isn't that weird? Yeah, they, so they were driving in the idea that a vaccine card would be needed before they were ever making shots for the cards. Of course that makes sense in this weird clown world, right? Sort of like how the EU was planning for vaccine cards back in 2018 and perfectly timed it exactly right now. It's almost like they were clairvoyant. Who knows? Maybe they are. This is a de facto standard. Vaccine, like again, as if we didn't make it happen, it just became that way because you guys let it happen. Exactly. Vaccine QR codes are also spreading internationally. Because don't forget, this is not just a local thing. This is a world agenda. Japan launched a similar system last month. And Ontario, Canada is requiring people to have scannable proof of vaccination to eat inside restaurants, go in certain businesses. QR codes are increasingly required as a part of international air travel. This will be your new normal, guys. And did the mandate do it? No. And I'm not trying to underplay how important the mandate was and, the, and how great it was that it got shut down. But this, it's what happens, we tend to get focused on one thing. Right, We can't be one-trick ponies here, guys. We can't just only talk about masks for the entirety of COVID-19 because it's popular and because it's making an effect and it's important. We need to continue to broaden out, and that's what becomes so hard about all this. Because there's so much to digest. But as I said in regard to this, just as we discussed on the show, if you thought the mandate being shot down was going to stop this, you're mistaken. The mandate was the misdirection, my opinion. Remember. They already allowed business businesses to do it themselves, even though it's illegal. So it continues, and it will continue. Now, here's Pierre McCola pointing to uh, a screenshot. Not sure why he doesn't like to share the links. Maybe censorship idea, but it says, Denial of natural immunity in CMS vaccine mandate. Unprecedented in modern history, Scott Atlas says. Well, first read what he says. Atlas is correct. It is. I agree. It's unprecedented. Safest employees in the workplace are the recovered. I agree with that. Countries have relied on this throughout the pandemic. Omicron brief immune uh, booster solidifies back immunity. My point here is talking about the, you know, where the point's going. Natural immunity. 
right? Denial of natural immunity. Okay, I agree with everything about that, except where you where is this going? Are we arguing that we should be allowed to check our natural immunity on the passports? Well, that's obviously the last thing we should allow. That's where I think that does go. So we should be denial of natural immunity is crazy. But the point is, if that's in, if that we know it's it's real, it's there. Therefore, you can't be forced to do anything. I could have natural immunity. You can't force me to take. It's my choice. Is the point? It's what we used to pretend this country was all about, and seemingly never was. The reality is that they're going to use natural immunity to keep you in the infrastructure for the vaccine passports. That's not a win for me. That's a calculated retreat, just like everything else. Possibly the plan to begin with. They need to acknowledge that you're not sick until proven healthy. That's the reality. So I'm very concerned about these kind of comments. Now, the point is, guys, that the testing as I mean, this is one rollback to a degree. So are the other things, masks don't work and everything else they're rolling back. But we're starting to see conversations already about maybe we should stop counting cases. Well, gee, who said that before? It's almost like we've been screaming about that from day one. You know, the case-demic and all. Well, what's interesting about this is the timing of it, right? What else are we finding out right now about cases? Oh, that's right. That they're pretty much aggressively in every single category on the side of the fully injected. Every single one. Not just the majority of cases, but the risk for 100,000 is almost double in every single category for the vaccinated versus the not vaccinated. I mean, look at the categories. That's incredible. So the vast majority, I think it was well over 80% of all the cases are on the side of the fully injected. The risk of getting sick is almost double in every single category. We've already talked about this. This is from the UK data. So Singapore wants to stop counting COVID cases. It's a road, its roadmap could be a model for other countries. So it's funny how the, the thing that was dismissed as the craziest, stupidest, most dangerous idea in the history of COVID or history of, of, of health policy is now going, hmm, maybe this is a model we could use now that it's beneficial. Here's the Guardian doing the same thing. January 1st, 2022. US, so now even the U.S. experts were starting to question whether counting these cases is still the right approach. Well, gee, so the absolutely lacking new data is what changed your mind, right? The point being that there's nothing new here. There's nothing that changes the perspective. It's the same perspective. Cases are cases that don't necessarily lead to death. PCR tests have massive false positives. People have all sorts of variants or variations in how these things work. There's a cycle threshold. There's a thousand reasons why that doesn't actually add up to exactly how much threat there is. We said that from day one. They ignored it from day one. In fact, they disparaged it and said, you guys are crazy. And now they're just going, okay, now we can consider that. There's no new information. That's the point. These UX, these experts just woke up yesterday and said, you know what? I have a new idea. No, it's coordinated. And the reason I think they're trying to roll back or discuss, maybe we should stop focusing on the, now guys, there's even reports right now of, of authorities standing up and going, you know what? We're not even, we can't even count the cases anymore. There's so many. Well, gee, that's a little self-serving, isn't it? Just assume if we tell you nothing, it's overwhelming. Yeah, that's unbelievably ignorant. How about they don't want to count them anymore because of what's actually happening? That's pretty obvious. Now, in the general category of everything in the UK report, as we just talked about yesterday, every category, the majority, the vast majority, hospitalizations, deaths, cases, majority, in every category on the fully injected. Now, they argue that one death per, the threat per 100,000 in everything but cases is higher in the, vac, in the unvaccinated. I don't even know how that makes sense. You guys can dive into, your, dive into it for yourself because specifically Scotland, which is within that data, is the exact opposite. Six, 
majority of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths on the vaccinated, but the per 100,000 risk is almost double in every category. So that doesn't make any sense to me. I believe they're lying and manipulating something, but you guys can think for yourselves. The bottom line is, let's stop talking about the cases which clearly aren't working for us anymore. That's pretty interesting. But what about this, though? Biden just said, hey, we're going to distribute at-home rapid COVID tests. This was on January 14th for free. Read it for yourself. You have to ask for them, but they're going to be delivered and everyone can be testing. And what is that going to do? Well, we know what that's going to do. Well, I'll read this first. The Biden administration is purchasing 1 billion at-home rapid COVID tests to give the Americans for free. And along comes the next case-demic illusion, driven directly by the dramatic increase of testing, just like every time before. Right, so as other countries are like, maybe we should stop doing that because it's giving us a fake, an illusion about what's going on. And we're like, no, more, 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 more. <laughs> but what's interesting is that here's what James Lyons-Weiler has to say. Here, they're talking about rapid antigen tests here. We've talked about this in the past, that they're not, I don't think, I think there's a, a very clear less, it's a less, to a lesser degree, false positives, but still a high level of false positives. That's That was the conclusion I came to based off all the information. So what's interesting to me is what James Lyons-Weiler has to say about this. And I think this is, in my opinion, why this shift is happening. Why this subtle rollback of some PCR tests, this is why. The FDA knows rapid antigen kits, which is what they're talking about, are not specific to COVID-19. Says James Lyons-Weiler, PhD, very, very highly regarded, educated individual. They can detect other viruses. For example, HKU1. Perhaps Dr. Marks or someone with a phone should place a call to the president of the United States. Okay, so what does this tell you? If they're rolling out a massive rollout, and you know, the only people that are going to ask for these are the people that believe the narrative. So all these people that are desperately scared, most of which believe they've got long COVID from something that's not really there, which is what that recent peer-reviewed study found, that people that believe they have long COVID are almost all psychosomatic. Who cares about the science, though? JAMA Network, peer-reviewed. But they're going to send these out to people that ask for them. So they're already feeling they're sick. They're already worried they're sick. They already believe the narrative. We're all going to die. So they're going to test it, and these tests are going to give false positives to some. And they're going to think they're sick, even if they don't have anything, syphilis or anything, right? Which is the point about, you know, I have that tweet somewhere in here basically saying, well, if you have the cold, if you got allergies, how do you know it's not COVID-19? That tells you everything, doesn't it? If you have to ask, which is what Aaron Siri says, I'll show you that tweet in a minute. But here's my point. If these things are going to pick up other things, which are going to be arguably labeled COVID-19, which is the same thing the PCR test was doing but this is doing it a different way. And you massively roll these out to everybody during what you're, where there would be flu, where there would be cold, where there'd be all sorts of other things it's going to pick up on. What are we going to see, guys? We're going to see a massive increase in testing, which will become the next case-demic illusion. Mark my words. Now they're going to argue it's because we found dangerous cases, but how about we, as always, should realize that if it's that dangerous, how do they not know they had it? And the idea is that you have to be tested to know you have it, the most dangerous pandemic in a century? It makes no sense. They're going to say, well, it's because they had vaccines, but that's not the reality, guys. They are the ones clogging up the hospitals. They are the one, based on all the data we're seeing, and I'll point to some of it next again, based on every metric in Scotland, every metric in the UK, they are the ones in the hospitals. They are the ones predominantly in the cases. They know this. I believe that's why they're doing this. This kind of subtle discussion of, let's just not look at the cases for a moment, or at the very least undermining what we're currently looking at just until the next part of it. That's what I think is going to happen. Oh, and let's not forget that the uh, DNA tests are going to be added to COVID screening. So that's not relevant at all, right? The Polish health ministry is planning to introduce a new type of screening for coronavirus after a gene was discovered that determines the likelihood of a patient suffering from severe fatal COVID. Now, 
I haven't dug in too deep to this, but my thought, my gut would tell me the gene, the specific gene problem seems like an easy way to cover up the certain batches being deadly, right? Oh no, that wasn't a certain lot over there in that location. It was just that they had, those people had certain genes that were dangerous. Take our word for it. That's my thought. But either way, guys, recognize that this is something that will be used, especially as we're continuing to use things where they have possible DNA that you could be testing. This has always been happening from day one, in my opinion. And they actually get caught for that, remember. But rolling this forward from the testing into the obvious part about why that even makes sense in a situation or with the mandate in general about in regard to the situation with vaccinated versus injected versus fully injected, dang it, fully injected versus not injected. And how it makes no sense when obviously we're all being told that the problem is almost aggressively on the side of the fully injected in regard to cases, at least. Here's somebody speaking with Boston Globe. Quote, somebody could show me they're fully vaccinated and boosted card and still be positive for COVID. Well, we all know that right now, at least what the narrative is. He says, I'm not really sure exactly what it achieves other than making it more uncomfortable for those that aren't vaccinated. Yeah, it's punitive, guys. That's the point. They're making it hard for them to exist. So we can't exist. Now, here's a really important part of this. This is the article from Boston Globe. I just, as always, have it on the easy to read group because there's a paywall. Or there was. Well, look at that. I guess not. There was. A, oh, yes. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, here's what I was looking at anyway. So I could just show you on the main part, just the, these first three parts. A, a moment ago, there was a paywall. It wouldn't let me look at it. So it says last month, or right now it says through now though with the rules set to take effect Saturday, some retailers, this person individual, this person in particular, say the mandate is starting to feel like another COVID-related burden on the backs of businesses. The pandemic has hurt the most. Some are even scaling back their operations in response. Think about how crazy that is. Do you remember the argument for why this was necessary? Do you remember the whole the whole point of why they argue businesses were allowed to force the mandate, to force testing, to force the mask? Is because not doing so, quote, created an undue burden for the businesses. That was their entire focal point. And the point is, well, if we get sick, well, then we're going to have to worry about it. We can't do that. Well, okay, how about the same argument in reverse, which is ex- equally relevant? Your entire effort here is making their businesses almost impossible. So is it that, I mean, right now you could obviously argue that not doing any of this is obviously less of a burden on this person's business than making them have to check passports and have technological QR code scanning and and make them wear masks and enforce that and check it all and make sure, obviously. This is how flimsy their narrative has always been. If this is where they come, if their argument was it's an undue burden, And then they literally roll out a massive burden on every business. It's like they must, they are banking on our stupidity and they're wrong. They have one of their biggest failures in all of this is underestimating your intelligence. They failed in that regard and they still continue to do it. They still continue to underestimate the intelligence of anybody, the Trump supporters or anybody, because they see through it right now. They want them to be caught in this and they're not doing it. And that's just one example. That's everywhere. Think about how crazy that is then realize that this is exactly the point here, right? So what they're saying, oops, back one right here. Oh, that's frustrating. Did this change? I hope this didn't change. I see now I close my other article and then I feel like I'm missing a, t- a line there. 
It says, last month, let me read this through. We announced the plan to require proof of COVID vaccination for people who enter restaurants, gyms, entertainments in Boston. It was hailed as a much-needed move to blunt the surge of Omicron. Now, though, with the rules set to, to affect Saturday, some retailers say the mandate is starting to feel like another COVID-related burden on the backs of businesses. The pandemic has hurt the most. Temporarily switch takeout operations. Dang it. Hold on. Let me check something really quickly. Let's see if there was something that changed. The reason being is I'm pretty sure that they made an argument in this article that makes something really interestingly clear. Let's see if it changed at all. Maybe that's why the paywall went away. Damn, I wish I wouldn't have closed that other article ad up. See, there's the paywall. Son of a gun. Oh, here, I can do this again. Bear with me, guys. Wait, what? Okay, this is confusing as hell. Bear with me. I don't know why that just logged me out. How strange. Did I just get deleted from this? <laughs> strange. You guys can't see it, so don't worry. That was weird. Okay, let's try it again. Back to the point. There it goes. That was weird, man. I've never seen that happen. Okay, simplified article. Let's see all that was wasted time or not. Decided to... Decided to pivot to the takeout only until mayor... It did change. How interesting. Well, let's let's see what changed. Decided to pivot to takeout only until Mayor Michelle Wu's proof vaccination mandate is no longer in effect. Co-owner decided to pivot to takeout only until it's no longer in effect. Last month, when they announced the plan to require vaccination, it held as much needed blunt to surge of Omicron. Now, though, with the rules set to take effect, some retailers say the mandate, maybe not. Okay, here was the point. I guess I just wasted a lot of time. The point was, if we're staring at this, and you know what? I think I might be remembering something else too, but here's BC provincial health officials saying the vaccinated are getting infected at a much higher rate. They're telling you very clearly the vaccinated are being infected at a higher rate than anybody else. So the idea being that they are the ones continuing to spread and continuing to be the problem. In this article, we're talking about, there was a point in here. That's what I'm trying to remember right now. So, okay, here we go. Here's what it is. I'm, I'm glad I remember this. So they're saying we announced a plan to require proof of vaccination, right? For anybody who's vaccinated or not to enter gyms in, in, in the area. And it was hailed as a much needed move to blunt the surge of Omicron. Okay. But if they are the ones spreading this infected and spreading more than anybody else at a higher rate, I mean, that clearly argues that this is nonsensical. There's another point in there, but I'm going to skip past it. That's driving me crazy. As you guys know, I hate when I can't think of something. But let me play this clip and you can listen to it. I mean, this is the craziest part about all this is that they're pretending that the unvaccinated who are by definition not sick, right, at, at by default until they get sick, if any, as anybody can, 
pretending they're the ones doing this. Well, this is what this is what she's saying. This is one of the challenges that we're facing right now with Omicron, because people who are vaccinated um, do have good protection, good, strong protection against hospitalization and severe illness. But we are getting infected at a much higher rate. And we see that in the numbers that we see every day, where the numbers of every cases, day. the percent who are positive, reflect the percent of vaccinated people in the in the in the community. And see, that's false. That's the fake argument they make. It's not the truth. They're arguing, well, it's, it's the same percentage because they're vaccinated. That's the same amount they're getting. Well, first of all, if it's the same percentage, that means that everybody getting vaccinated is getting sick. <laughs> well, that's stupid. And that, of course, is exactly why this is spreading and changing and varianting and all the stuff they claim. But nonetheless, that's not true. You can look at the percentage, the same thing in the United States. If we only have 62% of the population injected and we're seeing the vast majority of cases, that's not the same point. It doesn't make sense. But either way, they're telling you, they're admitting the majority vaccinated are getting infected at a much higher rate. You are more susceptible to get sick. And again, that is what the UK data shows you. I mean, it's right there. It's plain as day. Your risk is higher, almost double. So who is spreading this? Who is continuing to spread it? Who is creating the pandemic? They are. As Denny Rancourt points out, so contrary to all known science, an injection does not prevent infection or transmission whatsoever, but, quote, protects you against being hospitalized, which is also not true. He says, not to mention that patients in ICU cannot be injected because they are too fragile. So hospital data is garbage. Well, here's Ontario. As always, this is the most recent update. More than 50%, more than 50% of the ICU is fully injected, are fully injected. And in hospital in general is almost 75%. What is she talking about? She's lying to you. Or she's being told that's the truth and doesn't know better. I mean, unbelievable, guys. This is driving me crazy. There's something in there I forgot. (laughs) The bottom line is that there's the illusion is what's driving this whole thing. And this whole idea that Gosh, it's like right on the tip of my tongue. I'm going to skip it because it's driving me crazy. But this is the main point to finish with today. The U.S. government is no longer requiring. Now, this tweet, I feel, is a little bit, it's a little inaccurate in some ways, but the government is no longer requiring hospitals to report their COVID deaths. How do we make sense of that? Now, to be very clear, and I'll make this clear at the beginning of this, that they're saying, well, it's just because we're no longer requiring it. And you show, they still need to report to the state. They still need to keep, it's not like it's not going to be reported anymore. That's kind of what this tweet makes it feel like. But isn't this the biggest pandemic of a century, they tell us? Aren't we in the middle of another problem right now? Isn't it already getting worse again? Aren't we all going to die? So why then would you be like, ah, who cares? Don't, just don't tell us anymore. Maybe we should stop counting the cases. Ah, we don't care about the deaths anymore. Don't even tell That's crazy to me. Either it is the biggest pandemic of a century and we're in the midst of it, or it's not. All right, you don't get to play this game both ways. And what's even more interesting is that it was issued on January 6th, you know, under the cover of all that mayhem and nonsense. Tells hospitals they are no longer required to report COVID deaths to the federal government. Now, that's clear. But the government to end daily COVID death reporting, eh, you, you, you decide for yourself. And thank you for including the link. That's, my, that's the, what's most important to me. Now, here is the opening page. COVID-19 guidance for hospital reporting. It says it's updated January 6th. Implementation dates for therapeutic D required was January 19th. For pediatric influenza fields, February 2nd. Now, right out of the gate, it says since March 29th, 2020, 
The U.S. government has been collecting data from hospitals and states to understand healthcare system stress, capacity, capabilities, and the number of patients hospitalized due to COVID-19. As the COVID-19 response continues to evolve, federal needs for data are also evolving, really undefined, in an effort to reduce burden on who exactly, while maximizing efficiency for who exactly, for whom exactly, the federal government launched a data reevaluation process, <laughs> including input from stakeholders to determine COVID-19 hospitals, hospital data collection needs. So are they really pretending they no longer need to know how many people are dying from COVID? This guidance is produced the product of the data reevaluation effort. I mean, it's what is the actual driving force? Either is this going away? All right, this is part of the rolling back of the illusion. They want you to no longer be concerned until the next variant or the next lockdown or whatever else it comes next. That's my opinion. All data collected is driven by two core principles. Well, that they, they just get into the idea that they tell you what they're doing is to you know make sure they're they're monitoring the healthcare system and the stress, and which then indicates that it's no longer necessary. Right? Very strange to me. And this STLT stands for state, tribal, local, and territorial. Now, going forward, it says, we also recognize that many states currently collect this information from the hospitals. Therefore, hospitals may be relieved from reporting directly to the federal government if they receive a written release from the state indicating that the state is certified and will collect the data from the hospitals and take over the hospital's federal reporting responsibilities. Now, that in this whole report, there's things they're adding to reporting, and there's also things they're taking away. And one of the things they take away is reporting death to the government. So the point is, they just so it's clear, they re they're reporting to the states. As far as I can tell, that's still happening. So that's just an important point to not miss. But why would the government, federal government, no longer care about who's dying from this? All hospitals are asked to follow the direction of their state and jurisdiction just yet again to point out that they're on the hook, as it would seem still, to the state. So don't, don't misunderstand that. But here are all the things they're seemingly asked saying as the federal government, which in my opinion would include the CDC. That's, that's part of the federal government. But you guys can decide for yourself. I mean, that's this. these are nuanced left to you to decide based on all the information we can look at. But it says, hospitals no longer need to report these data elements to the federal government. Previous days, COVID-19 deaths. That's pretty clear. Actually, I think this one's at the end. Yeah, I forgot to move that. So, no longer have to report COVID deaths. Well, that's strange. Here it is listed right there. Federally inactive. Previous days, COVID deaths. So they're arguably still giving it to the states or the hospitals are, and or rather it's up to them and the state, right? Like, you know, this is sort of the idea of kicking it down to the states like RFK Jr. or the Defender was just talking about. Like, right, we're, we're on the, right now you're on the hook for why the federal government, not the states necessarily, necessarily, but the federal government is responsible for ignoring the myocarditis, ignoring all the risk, ignoring everything. And then right when it all really starts to come to a head, they go, well, we'll kick it down to the states. It's their, now it's their obligation. We're no longer at fault. Well, yeah, you are, in fact. So just because you pretend like you're no longer looking at what's happening doesn't mean you're no longer responsible for why we got here. Here's another interesting part, though. Not only are they saying we don't need to be told about the deaths, they're saying hospitals no longer need to report the hospital beds. Hospitals no longer need to report to the federal government about all adult hospital beds in general. So why, would, why does the government not care anymore about how many hospitals are in these locations? You can decide for yourself, but I find it to be strange. Here's more. Hospitals no longer need to report these data elements to the federal government. Previous days, remdesivir use. Well, that's strange, seeing as how it's becoming more and more known that remdesivir, according to the government's own study, killed 53% of the people that took it. So why would they, right now, where all these people in hospital are being treated are dying, 
possibly people that are unvaccinated. You could even call it conspiracy theory to ask whether it would be selectively given to people who are unvaccinated, who are sick. But either way, we're not going to ask for that information anymore because it's not relevant. Or even about their inventory, how much they have. Who cares? Or guess what? The federal government specifically is going, you know what? Don't even tell us about your critical staffing shortages. Who cares? Right. You mean the federal government that's involved in right now dealing with, you know, National Guard deployment or dealing with staffing shortages from a federal level? Like, that's an ongoing point. But yet they're going, ah, who cares? Don't tell us anymore. Every one of these points, guys, relate to something that they don't want you talking about, seeing, understanding. Now, there are other things in here that don't necessarily, like the number of ventilators they use, but that you could argue that's related. But I'm just showing you the ones that I find to be the most important. Hospitals no longer need to report. This is interesting to me. Total hospitalized patients co-infected with flu and COVID. Well, when was that? When has that ever been? This, I mean, this is an interesting sidestep. It's almost like that was rolled out the flu rona, delmacron, deltacron. I mean, all these different names combining in danger. And it was kind of floated and pulled back. And now we're not talking about it. I think in general, maybe that was something that was rolled out too soon. It didn't work. Who knows? Either way, they're going, yeah, stop. We don't, we don't want to know anymore. Federal government. Interesting. Finally, again, hospitals should stop reporting directly to HHS. Why? That has always been something. I mean, look, that's all. That's a general thing. Most times they pull from the states, but the HHS has always had its fingers in the data collection, always, with flu, with all, all this stuff, the CDC specifically. So why would they now, in the middle of what they tell you is an ongoing pandemic, be like, eh, we don't want to know anymore. Just let the states deal with it. At, at, at the very least, it seems to suggest that they're wanting you to think that this is no longer as serious as it was without saying that. Again, please decide for yourself. Since hospitals no longer need to report the information directly and all details and frequently asked questions are readily available on the CDC website for how to report laboratory data, all of the text describing laboratory data elements was removed from this guidance. That's strange. Hospitals are still required to report information to their state through existing public health mechanisms. So again, just making sure that's clear. No one's suggesting this is no longer ever being reported, but I argue that if you leave it to the states who have more so politically driven agendas, it's just left up in the air even more so. And then you argue that everything's going to be done in its own different ways, which is then be impossible to add to aggregate, which is again, the point. It's exactly why we don't know what the PCR cycle thresholds here and there and different uses and how they apply it. Oops. That was the last one I just actually pulled off there. Here we go. Here's the last one. Same point, except on just the flu. Isn't that strange? The federal government, HHS, the CDC, is saying, well, don't even tell us about flu reporting anymore. Previous day influenza deaths. I am just completely baffled at this. And, no, you know, right now, guys, I think we're watching a calculated re-engineering of this narrative in interesting and very clear ways. Now, here's something that was really important to point out as Steve Murr points out, he says, try and understand this. Am I correct in seeing that they're dropping daily death reporting, yet adding a bunch of pediatric indicators, which will make pediatric problems look larger, yet not asking hospitals to differentiate between those hospitalized with COVID and due to COVID? Right. Even as they're right now rolling that back and saying, well, that matters. They're not doing it on their own request for reporting. And here's what he's pointing to. This is pretty crazy. So as they're rolling, they're saying, we don't need to report to the federal government deaths, hospitalization beds, remdesivir use. Uh, uh, what was the last one? I just blanked on all of a sudden. 
Oh, flu in general, flu deaths. Okay. So you don't have to tell us any of that. But here's what we're adding. Take note of the new, right? These are all new. As of this new report, well, we're going to now ask you to report all pediatric inpatient beds, all pediatric inpatient occupancy, pediatric ICU beds, pediatric ICU occupancy, right? Hospitalized ICU pediatric laboratory confirmed COVID-19 patients, previous days, pediatric admissions with laboratory confirmed COVID by age, all of these things, all these are new COVID additions for pediatrics, right? So what's it going to, what's going to look like from the day they stood, didn't do it to the next day, it's going to look like a huge surge in pediatric hospitalizations, pediatric COVID-19. And all of these are going to be kids in the hospital that get tested and get false positives like we already haven't been admitted to. And if I can even pull this one up. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the first one. They've already, this has been broken after this. This is back from May 2021. Hospitalization numbers are inflated. At least 40%. And yet we keep pretending like we don't know this. The reality is they're giving people, this is the whole with and from, false positive. They go with a broken leg. They get a test that says they're sick. They have no symptoms. They leave. That's a COVID hospitalization. If they're testing kids, which we know they are when they go in, and they're now going to be aggressively monitoring pediatric beds, ICU beds, they're testing their, their hospitalization, their, their tested general, we are going to see a massive case-demic illusion and a massive increase in what the, the illusion around whether children are sick and in danger. Why? Because they're desperate to get the approval for the kids so they can get indemnity for everything. That's where we are. Now, here is somebody... An alternate opinion, just to show you somebody else's opinion. He's saying, well, it's only the HHS data sheet, which that's what I said too. This is removing a bunch of hospital data points and adding a bunch. Deaths will still be reported to the CDC daily. Now, I don't know about that. I don't know why they would assume the CDC. The CDC is part of the federal government, right? So I don't, if it's going to be reported to the states and the local hospitals, I don't understand why. I mean, they do have. Look, even the local state level CDC ties, I would argue that's still federal government tied to the state government. Well, these, these, decipher yourself. I don't understand why it would make sense to remove this from federal reporting, but assume the CDC is still going to be getting those reporting. Either way, the rollback in itself is clearly not aligning with what they're telling you is happening, which is you're all going to die. Massive pandemic of a century. It's not making sense. Like everything else in their narrative. Like this. Expect more worrisome variants after Omicron. Well, is Omicron worrisome? No, they're just jumping to the next stone. Like, oh, it didn't pan out. So well, the more, more of them will come. Well, how do they know that for sure? Well, they don't for sure. You see, this is hypothetical, subjective fear-mongering. Now, you could argue that they're experts and they have a right. They, they may think that. But why don't we focus on what we can prove, right? Everything we can prove is being censored. They're, oh, whoa, this could be more dangerous, scientists say. The modeling from California seems to suggest that hospitalizations are going to explode next month. Well, why do we care about their modeling that's been wrong a lot this whole time, if not all? Why don't we focus on what's happening? Look at how low the hospitalizations are. Look at how low this is. Look at how the cases are all happening in the vaccine. Nope, because the facts don't matter. All it is is the hypothetical fear-mongering that matters now. I knew it. I knew it. I'm so mad at myself. See, I did. I knew I did this, and I wasted at least... Five minutes before trying to search for this. This is what I was thinking about. It says, get ready to learn more Greek letters. Scientists warn that Omicron's whirlwind advance practically ensures it won't be the last version of the coronavirus to worry the world. Every infection provides a chance for the virus to mutate. Okay. Well, that's an interesting stance, seeing as how that's more specific than most mainstream coverage, because don't forget the vaccinated are spreading it. The vaccinated are getting infected. 
So when they're pretty much making it clear, well, that infection, even in the vaccinated, has a chance for the virus to mutate. And you could argue based on the data and the science before all this that the injection itself creates a far more high like a likely chance for it to mutate. They urge wider vaccination now while today's shots still work. Right. So we're telling you the vaccinated are the primary spreaders right now. The most cases, highly more likely, as they just told you. And yet we're also saying, but the infections, every infection causes a chance for it to mutate. And they're the ones causing most of the infections right now. But get vaccinated. I'm not, this is how ridiculous this is. Let's listen to that again. And this is one of the challenges that we're facing right now with Omicron. Because people who are vaccinated um, do have good protection, good strong protection against hospitalization and illness. But we are getting infected at a much higher rate. And okay, so that's very clear. The vaccinated, and this is not just this location, Scotland, and anywhere you can compare these things. Even in the United States, they're admitting the cases are more slanted on the vaccinated. They just pretend that makes sense because the the percentage. But the reality here is even with their, even if you take their narrative at face value, she just told you they are getting infected at a higher rate. It says right there, every infection provides a chance for the virus to mutate. Okay, so these injections or these vax injected, <laughs> God, you see why I get frustrated with that. These injected are the ones spreading it more than anybody. They're admitting that. That is creating the spread, the transmission, the infections, the catching it, which by the way means they can still also spread it to the unvaccinated, which means right now they are the biggest threat in regard to continuing the pandemic. If you believe that's what's happening, there is no misunderstanding that they're trying to play a game over here, a sleight of hand Michelle game to get you to look anywhere, but what obviously is in front of you, they're getting it more than anybody. They're spreading it more than anybody. Even if you believe they're at least at less risk. They're the ones then spreading it to the unvaccinated if they're the majority, right? If that's even what's happening. But you understand how this is falling apart in front of them. It's amazing. And then don't forget that the the data before all of this shows you that the leaky vaccine scenario that that points to is exactly what creates the variants. They are the problem. <clears throat> even within their narrative. Think about how crazy that is. Finally, and this was the point I was making earlier, as Aaron Siri points out, NIH News, National Institute of Health says, it's, is it flu, COVID-19, allergies, or a cold? Right. If you need to ask, what does that show you? And it's not just about the injected, guys. This thing is, I mean, this it's ridiculous that we pretend that we're still in some kind of a pandemic when everything points to the opposite other than narrative and government talking points, which is sort of the same thing. Finally, to end, I want to, this video is just so exactly spot on with exactly what I believe is happening. And it's not, I mean, what's crazy, as I said, if you're looking for a quick breakdown of what anyone honest with themselves can see coming, because they told you it was, if you were listening, this video is excellent. I get that it can seem outlandish if you're only just hearing it, but look around you. It is exactly what is happening. And it's not even hypothetical. They're telling you they're going to do this, of course, with a different justification. So ignore the justification, look at the actions he's saying will happen, and realize they're telling you they're going to do those things. And that is your future. That's the new normal that they're building with this illusion. We need to see this, guys. We need to see this. I mean, it's just incredible that we can, it's in front of you. They're building the technocratic future with their build back great reset and scenario. Simultaneously, they're literally telling you the majority of people injected are the ones getting infected. They're the majority spreading it. The UK data shows you that in and of itself. They have a higher risk. They have more sick. 
Of course, they're going to, well, they're not going to get sick in the hospital. Okay, well, let's just pretend that doesn't matter for a moment. Every infection is mutating this. Every infection is creating this in their narrative, and they're the ones continuing it. I still want to, I still consider, and I want you to consider whether that was the plan, whether that was the entire point to create this kind of thing that would create a never ending cycle. And just maybe the part of the, of the side effects or the effects that were hurting the people that took it could have been the problem that went wrong, right? The idea that the people that went along with the plan are being hurt by it, I don't think makes sense. It could just be their incompetence showing itself in front of you. Either way, guys. The data is so very obvious. And all you're watching is this puppet show where they're desperately trying to rationalize the nonsense that's in front of you. So ask questions. As always, think for yourself. There's never been a more obvious time for that to make sense. It's time to think for yourselves and be objective. And that's why you're all here. But make sure other people see that and share the video and get this in front of everybody that you possibly can. To end with that video, guys, this is what's coming. It's time for us to stand up and put our feet down. Do not let this happen. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. The economy, the financial system as we all know it is fucked. It's irreparable. All the governments know it, right? So the plan is to replace it and all of our systems, financial, economic, civil, with something completely brand new. The plan has already been conceptualised, documented, agreed upon and mobilised, right? And it's been ramping up overtly for the last year. But time's running out to get the plan implemented before we all find out what's going on. The current financial system is so fucked that the only way to fix it is essentially to temporarily prop it up with loads of cash and then throw it in the bin and start again. So what will your future look like? Once we've built back better, to coin the World Economic Forum phrase. Well, firstly, there'll be a new digital currency. Not a digital readout of your current bank balance in the current banking system. A crypto, presumably, of some nature, right? It'll be something that's brand new. Secondly, there'll be a digital 5G smart grid. Connecting everything from telco to media, driverless cars, drones, household appliances, utilities, waste management, emergency services, retail systems, airlines, public transport, and so on, right? And thirdly, there'll be a mandatory, mandatory if you want to partake in the system, digital ID that holds all of your personal information, medical records, driving license and record, financial info and bank balance, Government services, travel info, criminal history, tax recordings, earnings, licenses, subscriptions, rental agreements, your carbon footprint, and most likely a social credit scoring system which determines your ability to access the systems based on your compliance with it and with society as a whole, right? The fundamental backbone of this new society structure and strategy requires everyone to be on a universal digital platform with a unique individual digital ID. There's no other way it can happen. Absolutely no other way it can happen. But how do they encourage, motivate and demand that you adopt the new digital ID system? What better way than to limit your freedoms because of a virus? And then set you free once they can verify digitally that you've had the cure.